and welcome to Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And you can find this weekly property show live every Sunday at propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters in either YouTube or Facebook. And if you're watching on our website, then we'd love you to hit that Google review button and give us a review on the website if you would. And whatever and wherever you're watching us, of course, watching the show, then give us your comments in the comments section below. And if you'd like to get in touch, it's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk, our email address. Property Matters is also available as a podcast, of course, every Monday at 10am on the eight biggest podcast platforms, wherever you get yours from. So let's take a look at the week's news with Joe Joshi. Yes, Happy New Year, Paul. Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, thank you for all tuning in and listening on our podcast. Uh, amazingly enough, three years in the making, uh, Paul. Uh, uh, 2023 puts us, uh, you know, into our third year of operation as Property Matters. Can't believe that every every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock we come live. Um, this, that's commitment for you. And, and it tells you there's always enough news uh, and views in property uh, wherever you go, whenever you, whenever you're going to be watching and listening. So, one in five adults uh, believe, aged 35 to 54, that securing a mortgage to purchase a house is an unattainable goal in their lifetime. The figures come from a new study by comparison platform Forbes Advisor, which also revealed that the average person over the age of 55 thinks individuals should stop being able to use the bank of mum and dad at 22 years of age, seven years earlier than the current national average. There's a whole bunch of things that are now being accounted for in affordability. Paul, that's that's the problem. Um, and over the last year, uh, we've had uh, increases in um, uh, just the utilities alone, and lenders have started to probably take that into consideration because it's originally when you filled out a form, that was a, an estimate of what your um, electric cost would be, or your gas would be, and your shopping would be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But of course, that's all been thrown out of the uh, out, out of the water right now because. Most of it is um, much, much more, especially when you think about um, the shopping and, of course, the, the utilities. Um, and now lenders are sort of thinking, well, actually, it's not just about the mortgage because the mortgage rate's gone up as well. It's also all the other costs that they've got to sort of... And that then brings in the affordability factor. Um, and bringing in the affordability factor means that most people that thought could reach a certain amount of mortgage could, can no longer do that, which means it puts them out of... Um, the, the sink to try and buy a property. My suggestion obviously with that is that we do try and buy your property, but also maybe you might have to move further afield to step on that first run of the, on, of the property ladder. You may not get it where you are, where you want to be in an ideal situation. You may need to go out to come back in it, so to speak. But unless you're on it or in it, as they say, you're not gonna win it. So it is the case of making those plans in such a way that you have to maybe move further out. Now that is a chat is a challenge for a lot a lot of things obviously work-wise communication travel etc um, but considering that a lot of people have now can work partly from home and partly from for an office that should be um, more sustainable I think it's a frame of mind in our minds that we don't particularly want to move out of the areas that perhaps we are in and would like to ideally buy within those areas, because you get comfortable, all your facilities are there, your doctors, your nurses, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know where uh, where everything is and you think, well, actually, I, I quite like it here, all my friends are here, I don't want to move out. But if you want to get on that first round of the property ladder, you may have to consider doing that, especially when affordability uh, has taken, um, has to be taken into account. Now, interestingly enough, 
um, there was an article recently that since the mini budget, 300 million pounds worth of mortgages were actually withdrawn from people that were buying primarily because of this affordability um, and the affordability through the idea out. And so all those people that thought they were going to go and buy a property were not able to buy a property since that because the interest rates started going up. So it is, you know, it, as you say, the carrot gets further away from the donkey, so to speak. But in some cases, in this in this situation, you'll have to maybe move locations, move areas in order to get on the run of the, of the property ladder. Yeah, if you look at the, the graph on the screen there, or for the benefit of those listening on the podcast, according to the research, the average person over 55 was paying rent to their parents when they were 19. Now millennials are 25 before they're being charged for living at home. So effectively, that's credit from the bank of mum and dad, if you like, I would, I would guess. Of those that were able to buy a house, over 55 typically received their first mortgage at the age of 28, while those currently aged 35, 44, they achieved this when they were 30. One in 20 respondents of the survey expressed the belief that future generations will never be able to achieve financial independence with the average house price now at 296,000 and falling fast. <laughs> and the average salary is 27,756. Young people are facing an unfavorable ratio in excess of 10 times their annual salary compared to just 4.7 times the average salary in 1990 when a lot of us, of course, got our houses. So uh, it, is, um, it is a very, very different market now, isn't it, Joe? Not only is it a different market, the lending process is is vastly different to what it was then. I mean, there was times when we had what they call self-certification mortgages and a lot of people that were either self-employed or were prepared to self-certify um, were able to borrow a tremendous amount of money. And obviously, 2007, 2008, um, when the financial crisis started in the US, uh, because of those self-cert mortgages, it actually came running back to everywhere, including the UK. Um, but, you know, sooner or later, a level of or some sort of self-cert mortgage will have to come back to light because these targets, these these um, points, what they're trying to do to try and get mortgages, it's just not going to be um, highly possible. The key factors in, in mortgages is that your credit, you know, the credibility has got to be absolutely squeaky clean. Uh, and if they, if you, if, if any lender gets the chance to say, well, you know, you've got a county court judgment, or you're, you're, you missed a payment on your mobile phone, or anything like that, that those are things that are really going to go against you. So those that are, are thinking about it, you need to sort of really seriously think about, you know, tidying up the credit side of it in order to be able to get onto the the, the run of the property ladder, um, even if it is at a smaller smaller amount. Yeah, looking at the uh, the the charts, the average age um, uh, when people um, started paying their own household bills. What's interesting about that is that's pretty much static across. It's around about twenty four, twenty five, when presumably you think right, you know, probably your parents have had enough and kicked you out. <laughs> I would imagine, um, uh, but there seems to be a pretty much that's the stage when it's time to leave home is about twenty five and pay your own bills. But what I find interesting is that those in the different age groups that are supporting other family members. So in other words, presumably when they had kids or a partner that they were supporting, the average age that that happened for 55 pluses is 34. But now in the 18 to 24s, it's 27. So in that age group, they're, they're, they're starting their family or supporting other people in the family earlier than we did. Yes, and, and again, because, because probably they started having families or having other connections much earlier 
without the pressure of having those mortgages because they were probably still living at parents. Um, and so they found that that was an easy route um, to, to um, perhaps go and start a family. Also, there's a lot of people that will start a family and, and also separate and then, then, you know, have to support. And that means that it doesn't allow them to go and actually um, buy or, or get involved in a property. The whole um, parenting family picture is, is vastly different um, to the times when obviously we were there and, um, and, and people were looking to do a three and a half, four times. I mean, when I used to think to do mortgages, three and a half, four, four times income was a challenge then, but now we're at six times, sometimes even 10 times the income. Um, and still not making those numbers work. So house prices will continue to rise, even though at this moment in time, they're probably slightly stagnant um, because everybody has seen that, you know, ultimately uh, the best investment they'll ever make is their home. So for some it's out of reach, some it's within reach. And amazingly enough, the millennials that we speak about are actually probably better earners today than perhaps we were at the time we were earning at, at the same age. but so for some reason, they find it hard to get on. And I think part of that is that, um, you know, life is a little bit easier. Mum and dad's home is a bit more comfortable um, and they can still order the pizza from Just Eat because they want to. Um, and, and so, you know, those, those, those things, there's a lot of mindsets in my mind that are not, you know, formatting. And so therefore they will actually turn around and be hanging around a bit longer than they thought. I always, when I listen to them, I, I always feel that they're sort of hard done by. Actually, they're not hard done by. I think they just basically got it easy and then realised that, you know, they have a focus. And the focus is always, well, you know, I'm young enough, I've got another few years, I'll do it then, I'll do it then. Um, our motto was much different, you know, um, when, when the 55 or now, you know, the 60-year-olds like me were looking back, thinking that, you know, it, we, we, we had to get on fairly quickly because mum and dad were not in a position to do that whereas now there are equities built in people's properties so mum and dad have equity in their homes and kids kind of almost have an eye on that even though they shouldn't but they do and they think okay well you know i'll get that support from mum and dad because ultimately if they're going to kick the bucket i'm probably going to get it anyway so i might as well push them for a deposit for the loan or, or whatever so the bank of mum and dad existed I and mean, bank of mum and dad has only been in situ as we know it probably in the last 10 years more so than before uh, we've talked about it for the last three years on our shows for for mum and dad bank of mum and dad and that's primarily because you know that's that the taxation and and all the other bits that happen allow mum and dad to think well actually i'm going to give it to them at the end they might as well have it now the problem with that is the focus, the motivation focus of going out and getting it all by yourself kind of slightly um, gets clouded because I think I'm going to get it anyway. So I think that's also a big um, step that makes them sort of think, I'll sit back and wait. Interesting point they raise at the end of the article when they talk about the, uh, the financial education, Joe, um, and the suggestion that there really ought to be more uh, structured financial education in schools and colleges to help people understand, particularly when we got things like this cost of living crisis and you know affordability and your mortgage repayments and all that sort of thing, the, the basic cash flow of the family, if you like. And 
you know, from what I see of maths from my kids, you know, the more they get more advanced maths, the less numbers there are in it, more letters there are in it. I never understand how that all works, but they, they, they learn all this maths, which is very precise and specific to certain um, career paths. But actually, broadly, a lot of people, the maths they learnt at school, they don't use. So is there an argument that says we should have a bit better, more practical financial support and education for our kids in schools? Uh, unquestionably, I think the basics are very, very important. Um, and I think it's the no matter how complex the maths gets and how complex our work life gets and how, I mean, the biggest issue is everything is online, everything is avail available to be doing uh, through a, a, a smartphone, etc. But the thing you can't take away is the practicality, the basics. The back to basics is never going to go away. And the basics are that you do need to understand and, and schools and education needs to provide those basics throughout that, you know, it is one on one is, is, is two situation, not one on one is 11, um, as, as we say in our, in our culture. But, but primarily, the, the main thing here, here is that they need to learn the everyday costs that are incurred. I just don't think that they take it on board. It's almost taken for granted. Oh, yeah, I'll sort that. It's OK. Um, it'll get done. Uh, it's not a problem. Um, you know, it's only £50, it's only £30, it's only £20, or whatever the cost might be. Priorities are very different. And then until such time as they actually put their hand in their pocket and realise how much is actually being cost spent, that's the only time that the real math starts to come into play, Paul. Um, and, and I think that that needs to go back to school and back, back to the basics of education and, and give a, a run and, and business people and, and parents may be actually a good source for that education. Uh, and that coming from a parent in a school may, may actually be a little bit more interesting than from a teacher, um, primarily because it seems to be real that, you know, this is, this is the current kind of cost. You must almost put your list of, of costs on the uh, chalkboard or the blackboard as, as we used to have. It's probably some screen nowadays. Um, and, um, and you just sort of point out that these are the costs and it's not actually until you see them in, right, I know you're smiling with my blackboard there. Um, and, um, it, it, you know, it's not until you see them in front of you, you actually begin to realise, my God, I didn't realise that that's, that's, what, that's what's going out. Um, and I think that's, that's a good way to, to show um, youngsters and anyone, it doesn't necessarily mean youngsters, even, even, even grown-ups kind of don't realise it. It's only when... Um, you know, difficult situations arise, they start to think, well, actually, I don't want to do this and I shouldn't be paying for that and I don't Because it's easy to say it's only 20 quid, it's only 10 pounds, uh, it's only 50 pounds, it's only, but at the end of the day, you know, when it's, it's going out, you start to realise that it's not just that. Uh, that's, that's how you've got to see it. Yeah, I have to say, uh, I do remember you brought back a memory for me there. It was my mother that sat me down, actually, and told me how to run a keep a running total on my check stubs, you know, because obviously when you write a check in those days, it took some time before it was paid in and actually credited to your account or debited from your account, right, should I say. So so very often your balance was actually not what it, you thought it was because things hadn't come off. And that simple cash flow uh, training came from, from home, not from school. So there is an argument for sure for, for, for doing it uh, in the home, perhaps. So um, we've mentioned uh, on our second story this week, we've mentioned EPC certificates many times, Joe, as you'll know on the show. Um, 
and uh, landlords are facing a bit of a, a, a window, aren't they, of 25, 2025, uh, the latest to make sure they've got their EPC certificates up to a C or above. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that this was something that people were sort of kicking into the long grass, oh, I'll sort that out later. But, of course, with the cost of living crisis, what's happening is that the young renters in particular, the millennials, are saying, well, do you know what, I don't want to rent an expensive property to heat. So they're looking for energy efficient properties even now. And I suppose the big learn from all of this, 58% uh, of private renters said they'd be less likely to look at a rental property if they were aware it had an EPC rating of D or below. So I guess the big message to landlords is maybe the EPC uh, upgrades are gonna be needed a lot sooner if you're going to avoid void periods. Yes, I mean, uh, <laughs> interesting thing about this EPC is when it first came out uh, some years back it was just I don't know we all we all kind of rubbished it and said it's another stealth tax it's another way of you know the government earning some money it's another way of and it's just another bit of paper that causes nothing and no one really looks at it and it's now become law and that is something that I think we got a drum home uh, it's not something that you can run away from it it's, it's not going to go away it's in fact become law to a point where in 2025, as you rightly say, um, anything that any rental property certainly uh, is less than uh, EPC uh, C grade will become harder to rent or perhaps not get the kind of rentals that they want. Or perhaps the scenario is that, you know, um, they'll have the void period until they get it up to speed. Now, interesting enough, only, only yesterday, I was with an EPC guy um, and um, you know, he went to look at a property that, that we're selling um, and it, it needed an update for the EPC. And the frightening part of it was, obviously he did, it, he did his job and it, it's great. The frightening part was how long it took to do it. It didn't take a long time. Um, and what the tick boxes were that they had to do in their process of, of ticking the boxes to make sure that certain things were in things like double glazing, things like um, insulation in, in the roof space, Things like um, uh, where, where, um, what type of heating, whether it's central heating or gas or electric, and and all those, it was pretty basic stuff to to a large extent um, that was going to record the quality of the EPC. Now, what's happening at that is I I, I will um, look into that a bit more, and obviously we'll share it on on one of our other programs, or perhaps even get. An EPC guy in to, to actually demonstrate to us, to our viewers and our listeners, exactly what it is that they've got to try and do to make sure that they score the appropriate EPC rating. Um, but I think that what what has come out of it is all new properties, all modern properties that are being built are obviously attaining that standard. It's the older properties that now need to get up to that level. And there comes a point, there's two points here that I need to make. One is that if it's vacant, it's easier to do. And if it isn't, it's equally harder to try and get things done for, for people that are in the property because it's not just those insulations and, and double glazing parts that needs to be dealt with. It's also how somebody lives and what, what sort of drafts and what windows and so forth. And recently we know that things like um, a moisture and damp and, and, and all that kind of stuff has been on, on television about um you know how people are but part of it is about you know the people that are in those properties and how they actually live 
um, and use them. Um, and that then falls on the landlord and not the person that is in there. And it's, it's, the irony of that is, for example, the, the, the biggest culprit is the bathroom and the shower room or wherever they're going to have the shower. You know, they've got to have some ventilation to let that steam out, but they don't. They tightened everything down and the, and the walls and ceilings are absolutely dripping in all the steam. Um, that then becomes moisture and becomes damp and, and so forth. And actually it's everybody else's fault but the person that actually had the shower and couldn't be bothered to open the windows or, because it's too cold. So, you know, you can't win, win all of these battles um, all by yourself. You need everyone to sort of join hands and participate, and that includes tenants as well as landlords. But yes, the EPC ratings to C are going to become law, are law, and they're certainly going to be very stringent in 2025. So all landlords, when they get a chance of a property that has become vacant, need to use that time, utilize that time, get your builders and people in and get it rated. And I know people say, well, actually, I've had an EPC done. It was done four years ago. I don't need it done for another five years or whatever it is. Um, I strongly recommend that in the grand scheme, it's probably better for you to have an updated EPC so that, you know, you are now rated at the right level as opposed to, you know, what was and, and to what is. It's interesting that 72% of renters aged 18 to 34 say they always check the EPC rating before they make a decision about renting a property. And that compares to 52% for the over 55. So they're, they're even more frugal. Perhaps they're uh, even more cash strapped at that age, potentially. But 72% of renters are aware of the EPC and are actually checking it before they move in. So there really is a call to, to landlords to, to, to get those older properties up to scratch. Um, and I suppose that's inevitable with the way that the, um, the, 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 the cost of living crisis is unfolding. And 1,000 people took part in the survey with Shawbrooks and they wrote a report called Confronting the EPC Challenge. Just 7% of respondents felt they knew a lot about EPC requirements, while a quarter of tenants said that they'd heard of the EPC but didn't know much about it. A further 27% said they'd never heard of it, and half of renters admitted to not knowing the rating of their current property. So it seems this is being driven by the, the younger end of the market, doesn't it? Well, primarily, Paul, that's because of technology, isn't it? It's easy to find these things. Um, and every agent, letting agent, and of course, landlord, when letting them out, including selling them, need to attach or make available an EPC rating. Certainly, um, in terms of conveyancing, it has to be available uh, at the time of documents being submitted to show that the EPC has been carried out. So, yes, it's, it's, I think there's more education, more teaching required, more awareness needs to be built up on this EPC business. And obviously, we'll do our part to try and do as much as we can on that. But I think, you know, landlords and um, sellers must be made aware that this is not going to go away. It is here to stay and it's worth getting it done and checked and if you're not sure, call an EPC guy in and get it get it rated. It's on the government website. That makes it even chopper and challenging because every EPC that has been done is actually recorded. You can go on epc.gov or whatever it's called and you'll find that your house is up there uh, when it was last done or it wasn't done and what the last rating was on it um, and if it's expired and so forth. I know all this because I've just done it. So I'm just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're here to pass on this that news and that wisdom I've just, I've just done it and i know it all exists and i was quite uh, astonished that um 
you know, all that information is available. So it is law. Take it read that we we've, we've told you so, and, uh, and and do take heed of what we're saying, basically. It's a bit of a double whammy for landlords, is it? Because yet another cost that they've got to take on board, but uh, also having left it to now, because it's being getting closer to 2024, 25, um, and the fact that now young renters are asking and demanding better economy in the property. Uh, but now, of course, reacting now and getting this stuff done now with the increasing cost of materials and the increasing cost of labour is going to be even more expensive for the landlord. So it's going to be a, a challenge for them. Yes, and, and, and by having an EPC done, you're actually getting a bit of a direction as to what does need doing. So it's almost almost worth getting one of those done at the beginning um, of your works and find out exactly what you need to do in order to get it to the level because the same guy is going to have to come back and upgrade it to whatever you've now managed to secure it as. So rather than taking a gamble and saying, oh, it, it probably is this and probably that, you might find yourself in a better position and perhaps you know, um, a better budget in order to get the kind of works that you need to do here to, uh, to get it up the rating. And it's not just about the millennials and, and the younger people. The fact is that the rental market is going to be stronger probably for the next couple of years whilst there's uncertainty um, in the mortgage processes and so forth, which I'm sure we'll cover shortly. But the point is that, you know, um, people are going to rent and, and this is going to happen. And certainly the next two to three years, uh, the rental market, in my opinion, will get stronger, though it's not that strong for the buy-to-let people because um, uh, you know, the, the mortgage rates have become astronomical. But those that have bought and are in it for a long term may need to make sure that the EPC standards are, are met. So a little warning there to landlords to make sure they get those EPCs done as soon as possible because you're going to have to have it done by 2025. Final story this week, um, length of time is the top stress factor for home movers. Kind of uh, knew that, didn't we? But this is uh, an interesting survey from Smooth Home Mover Report. It says uh, that the vast majority, 90% of people said that they had found the process of moving home stressful, pointing to the length of time, the lack of certainty and the wait for exchange and completion times. This is a survey of 1,000 people over the last uh, six to 24 months that have moved, found that 40% said that those surveyed found length of time taking to be completely frustrating. Around the third said that the lack of certainty and the wait for exchange and completion um, to be finalized was the main source of anxiety. Uh, the report said that the average amount of time between instruction and completion was five months or 153 days, and over a third of property transactions had fallen through in the year to July 2022. Something we talk about a lot, isn't it? The conveyancing process, it really is broken, isn't it? Stress factors are high when moving home at the best. Uh, when I was growing up, now that I'm a bit older, I can say that. Um, you know, we were always told that the, um, the sort of top three or four factors that are most stressful, divorce, death, and moving home was probably right up there. Um, and um, and it's, it's not really come off that top scale, really. It's, it's, it, that's, that's a lot of years it's been doing the same thing. It's, it's actually, if you had a league of stress factors, then somehow, um, you know, moving home has managed to sustain its uh, the stability in, in the top three um, and now, obviously, rating um, are high for people moving home. It's caused by a number of things, but the biggest one is the process it takes 
Um, and it's not just for homeowners and home buyers. It's equally for people like us, agents and, and you know, commercially minded people. It's just the process is so tedious. And there's only one person that happens to have um, all of the answers to that, unfortunately. It's your conveyancer or your lawyer who is actually doing it. Um, because ultimately they are the ones that are handling all the transaction and it just seems to drag on for one reason or another and I can say that uh, and I'm quite happy to you know say that quite clearly they can stretch it out over one word for three months I promise you they can um, and um, and it just it's, it's, it's ludicrous to think that you know they won't pick up the phone everything's got to be in writing everything's in emails and everything has a process and it's, it's stressful. People want to know when their completion dates are, they've got their mortgage offer, they've done their searches, they're ready to go and something is not being answered. So, you know, it is said that um, things should be done online. I'm not particularly confident with that, I have to be honest with you. I don't think everything can be done online. There are some aspects. Moving home, you know, I have to say, is one of the largest amount of money you will mentally, not physically, but mentally spend in your life time. You know, if you're going to go and buy a £250,000 or £200,000 property or a million pound or a ten million, this is the largest amount of money you will ever spend in your mindset. And it drags and drags and frustrates and, and you don't need an online um, process to be able to tell you you can or can't do this you want to be able to confide you want to be able to go and speak to somebody you want to get that comfort of knowing that you're doing the right thing and it's doing it's, it, all the documents are right and it's checked out and so forth and when you get online Paul what happens is you can't find someone to talk about the questions that you might raise and that could be you know now these chat rooms come on and and that's just somebody else who's got to pass it on to someone else and <sighs> yeah, it's like that, really. Um, you know, it just does, doesn't go away. It just goes on and on and on and on. And, and the reality is that you know, there has to be a system devised where somebody can actually be spoken to. I mean, going back 40 plus years, um, you know, solicitors would call in the client um, prior to exchanging contracts uh, to go through the contract to go through the documents, to make sure that they were happy. I know it sounds archaic, but it was pretty good. And people felt really good about the idea of saying, you know what, I've actually gone to see my solicitor. I've understood the documents. He's explained to me what I'm getting into and so forth. And now what we do is we get this online version of yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, put your question in the chat room and we'll see if we can answer it for you. And it's just not, Personal, personable enough for people to understand that they're making this massive decision. Um, so I'm not convinced that the online process that people keep, continue to suggest is done. But a lot of the back end can be done online. Um, things that like the searches and the environmental replies and all that sort of stuff can be done. But I think people want to feel that they are actually getting so much value for money, but more, more, more service, more. Uh, realism about the biggest purchase that they're ever going to make in their lifetime. Um, so the conveyancing system is definitely broke. It wasn't, I believe, but it is definitely is now. Um, and I don't see it getting repaired unless something dramatic happens.
Almost two thirds of the movers um, said that they'd found the process more expensive than they'd expected. Aside from the deposit, the stamp duty and estate agency fees, the biggest costs cited were, fun enough, solicitor's fees, followed by the cost of buying new furniture. Nearly a third said that the mortgage product fees were one of the biggest costs they faced. Yes, I mean, um, there are certain costs that you can't get away from. Obviously, solicitor's costs are one of those as a buyer. Um, when you take out a mortgage, you are going to have survey fees and you're going to have uh, arrangement fees and so forth. That will be probably um, the survey fees you have to pay. Other things can be added to your loan. Then you've got your um, solicitor's costs. Um, you know, they, that, there's, the things you can't get away from is the stamp duty. That's a government tax. That's not going to go away. Solicitor's costs, obviously, someone's going to be paid to do the job. Um, they are rising primarily because of everything else is rising. So, you know, everyone's going to have me. So like everybody else that being on strike, the next thing you find is the solicitors might be on strike. Um, and, um, and so constantly there are going to be costs, but there comes a point as to like, where is all of that going to get paid from? And that's probably the frustration part. But I think people get involved in property, as I said a number of times before, primarily because it is our mindset. We want to own our own home. And even though maybe the lender owns 90% of it and you only put 10% of it, it's still better than probably renting and paying someone else's mortgage, as somebody keeps saying to me, you know, oh, I'd rather be not paying someone else's mortgage, I'd rather be paying my own mortgage. Um, so that is, is a, a huge advantage. Of course, whilst they spent all this money in getting it all set up and so forth, what they also realise is that long term, you know, there's a capital appreciation in the property. And, and that's what they really go for, in all honesty, Paul. The pain that we go through is for the gain at the end. Um, and the gain is that house prices continues to go up. When I look back, you know, 40 plus years ago, as I always say, my first house I sold was for 34,950. The same house today is probably worth about 650,000 pounds. Um, and that's, you know, if, if somebody had invented, if we all had the, the crystal ball and, and bought, you know, 40 odd years ago at the time, look where it would be. So you can never say to people, don't buy, because I think that's one of the, the best things you can do. But yes, there's a whole route in order to buy, to go through that process. And part of that route is um, ticking the right things. And, and the first and foremost is making sure that your own credit is absolutely right, because that's gonna make a lot of decisions whether you are even gonna be in the frame of getting a mortgage, let alone what amount you're gonna a lot of people, two thirds of the people said they use savings or um, over a third relied on equity from selling their current property to, to, to finance all these bills. And approximately a fifth said they used the bank of mum and dad, of course, and the stress of home moving means that over half of them were unlikely to move again in the next five years. And the suggestion is that because the process is so uh, broken, that actually it's discouraging people from entering the property market sooner um, to move on again, and many are staying in what they would now frame as a, a as an unsuitable home, and they're saying that, <clears throat> excuse me, they're saying that if they uh, can digitise the online process or the transaction process with digital IDs and signatures and form filling and digitising parts of the conveyancing process, that would actually help to bring people back into the moving process more frequently because it would be less stressful and a lot quicker. I don't think that will actually happen. 
Um, I think it's a good good chat for the for whoever's written that that point. Moving home has never been much more than you know three to five years. It's been five years forever, as long as I can think back. I think by the time you've actually bought a property, settled down, unless something dramatic or drastic has happened in your life, you know, loss of a partner, separation, all the other things, all all of the above that makes you want to move or sell earlier, then nobody is going to be moving for five five to seven years, to be honest with you. So I think that's a bit of, bit of baloney, really, about if this, the system will make it any easier. The system won't make it any easier. What the system will do is maybe make the process in the background and make it a bit more personable if they utilized it. Now, it, it already exists, but nobody utilizes it. Um, and that's the problem. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, I'm in the business, so I, we speak to solicitors all the time and we do them. And it's quite shocking or quite shocking to think that there are things that can be done in two days that don't get done in three months. And it's frightening. And I've actually had those things happen um, where somebody has actually, you know, instructed, bought, got the paperwork, got everything that they needed to be done in a couple of maybe three days done and dusted. And that process can take three to five months, as people are saying here. And that's because of the volume of work that maybe somebody takes on and it just becomes a bit of a sausage factory. You know, you sort of throw so much into it and so much comes out of it. But the, the act the, it, it is, I suppose it's what you pay for. Uh, but you don't have to pay a king's ransom for it. It is something that is, is doable. Um, and I think that most people tend to look at these things and say, okay, well, what am I going to, how am I going to do this? And it's who you choose and how it works. And if you go to a factory firm uh, of lawyers, then you are going to be um, stuck in the system for a while. Equally, if you go to a traditional lawyer that you think is your family lawyer and friend, that's equally just as bad because it, because they think you're your family lawyer and friend, they always think, oh, it's okay, it's only poor, um, I'll deal with that tomorrow, and tomorrow kind of never comes. So you've got to find that happy medium as to who you're going to work with and what we're going to do. But it is a stressful thing, it is a costly thing, but at the end of the day, there is a gain after all that pain. Lovely. Well, that's where we have to leave it for this week, Joe. Uh, I'm sure as the weeks unfold and 2023 unfolds, there'll be plenty of other talking points for us to discuss on Property Matters. We'll see you again next Sunday at 10 o'clock.